Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, good afternoon, everyone. How are you all doing? Final home game of the year. It is a sad, sad thing to reflect upon because I don't like uh, the summer without Sharks hockey. And yeah, you know, obviously a lot to be excited about for the future. And I can't wait for training camp. I can't wait for the development camp in the summer. I can't wait for all the things that are going to happen in terms of the draft, in terms of the free agency, uh, just everything, really. I think that there's there's a whole lot to be excited about. And even though we're not headed to the playoffs, it is still going to be a, an interesting time for the Sharks over the summer. Um, but they've got you know the game tonight against Anaheim. And then we've got Thursday and Friday night at Edmonton, at Seattle. And that's that's it. Then, then you enter the summer timeline and clearing out those lockers. And, of course, we're going to keep bringing you great content all summer long in the offseason. Uh, we're going to have a lot of end-of-the-year stuff coming for you. I know that I'm working on stuff with um, everybody as part of the uh, that's part of the Sharks uh, side of things, the, whether it's Randy or Dan or Brody or Curtis or Mark or Hannon or Hetty, and everybody's going to be on this. Mark Smith as well. I can't remember if I said his name, but we're going to be getting to a lot of what we saw with the Sharks this year over the next couple of weeks what the team needs to do in the offseason, on and on and on and on. But again, you got to take care of business first here tonight. And uh, this is an Anaheim Ducks team that you know very clearly mirrors what the Sharks have been through um, in, in recent times. And if you look at their season, they had a good start. And then around Christmas time, it started going downhill after what was a very high-quality start. But they were hit by COVID just like the Sharks. They were hit by injury just like the Sharks. And that brings us into tonight's game where you see two teams out of the playoffs but with a lot of pride on the line and a rivalry that, you know, hopefully a year from now we're talking about these three California hockey teams because the the Kings are sitting pretty right now. But hopefully we do see a situation next year where, you know, a lot of this specific division does go through the three California teams. At least that's what I am hopeful for. But uh, we are going to talk about Anaheim and everything we've seen out of them lately. We are now joined by... By the radio color commentator for the Anaheim Ducks, Dan Wood. Dan, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Ted. Uh, thanks. Hopefully the same for you. Can't complain, man, although I'm sure both of us uh, wished that we were preparing for a playoff series, but I digress. Um, obviously, the, the big news for, for the Ducks as of late has been the retirement of Mr. Getzlaff after a, a remarkable career. Uh, he played his final game the other night. I thought that was a classy move going out at home. Um, just what was your reaction to his uh, initial announcement and then everything you saw with the fanfare the other night? Well, it, it was an emotional time, certainly for Ryan Getzlaff and for his family and for Ducks fans who have watched him play for 17 seasons. I think all in all, given the circumstances, it went about as well as it could. The building was full. Everyone was into it. And uh, even though the Ducks were no match for the St. Louis Blues that night, at least there was a, a nice little moment at the end with Getzlaff making a very picturesque pass for his final NHL point on a goal by Adam Henrique. So 
Um, you know, in a season like this that has been disappointing, especially the second half, um, you know, it, it could have been better, obviously, and I'm sure Ryan Getzlaff wishes that it had been. But uh, again, under the circumstances, I think it was a pretty nice finish. In terms of moving on from a club legend, because this is something the the Sharks have had to do, is Patrick Barlow is no, not, no longer here, and Joe Thornton is no longer here, and Joe Pavelski is no longer here, and now even Doug Wilson ha has resigned from his role as the general manager. Um, it, it's it's always interesting to watch that transition in terms of of what comes next. Yeah, it is, and it's to be determined, obviously, for the Ducks. Um, you know, I think it is time, though. I think it's time for the Ducks to turn the page from the era that was and the good teams that they had um, into, you know, something different. And obviously, the future of this team is younger players, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in terms of the captaincy and so on and so forth, but... Um, you know, I'm excited about watching players like Trevor Zegras and Troy Terry and Isaac Lundestrom and potentially Mason McTavish to lead this club into the future. Any ideas on who the next captain might be or thoughts just from your perspective? Not, not that you have any insider info. Well, I think the obvious choice right now would be Cam Fowler. Uh, you know, he's the, the second longest tenured duck after Ryan Getzlaff. Cam is very definitely a leader and a guy who I think could wear the C very comfortably and I think would do a good job. Having said that, I'm not convinced the Ducks will necessarily have a captain at the outset of next season. They might, but they might also just kind of wait and let it evolve and see, um, you know, who seems to be the the choice after they, they go for a while. Um, I think the question in my mind is, you know, do they want to give the captaincy to someone like Cam Fowler or potentially Adam Henrique, mm -hmm. uh, you know, guys who are 30-ish, uh, or do they want to wait and maybe give the captaincy to one of the younger players who is going to be around longer? Um, you know, certainly Troy Terry comes to mind as a guy who potentially could wear a letter. Uh, I, I don't believe the Ducks have decided that yet, uh, not only in terms of not deciding who the next captain will be, but whether they will have a captain at the beginning of next season. Uh, you know, that's one of many unanswered questions as we go forward. We know that, as you alluded to, the, the second half of the season has not been kind to, to Anaheim. What, what are you expecting in the offseason? Well, I, I think there's a really big question here, and that is uh, with a new general manager in Pat Verbeek, how swiftly is he going to try to move to get this team back to playoff contention? Um, you know, he may be more patient than, say, the fan base would be. The fans have gone through four consecutive non-playoff seasons now, and I think from a fan perspective, you want Verbeek to be very aggressive this summer, bring in some veteran guys who can help this team compete for a playoff berth next season. That's one way to approach it. Another way to approach it is to say, well, you know, we're willing to endure another non-playoff season if it means accumulating more assets that will help us uh, down the road a bit. And I don't know the answer to that question. I'm very curious myself to see how that plays out. Because I think 
if you look at what the Kings did last summer when they brought in Philip Deneau and Victor Arvidsson and Alex Edler, even though he missed roughly half the season with injuries, uh, those types of moves, I think, could get the Ducks to where uh, you know they could at least compete for a playoff berth next season. Uh, on the flip side, though, you know maybe what you have to give up to get guys like that to give you a shot at a postseason berth next season, you know maybe that uh, hampers you in future seasons. Maybe you're wiser to you know put your eggs in the basket of let's try to get guys that are going to really help us. Um, you know, in 2024, 2025, and I, I'm not sure, you know, what he can acquire and what he has to give up to do so. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I know that you've got a couple of games left, but I, I, are you at a point where you can look at the post-mortem of the season? And I know that there were injuries, obviously, in the, in the second half, which changed the outlook and maybe some overachievement in the first half. But do you have a, a pretty good view of the year as a whole at this point? Yeah, I think so. I think at their best, the Ducks were borderline playoff worthy. The problem with that statement is no team is at its best throughout an entire 82 game season. There are going to be injuries. There are going to be challenges and you're going to need the depth to withstand those things. And the Ducks didn't have it. You know, the first 35 games or so, uh, they had all five of their top defensemen in the lineup every night. And when that was the case, they were a pretty good team. But once we got to Christmas and beyond, when uh, they were hit hard by COVID, they had multiple players missing from the lineup every game. And then they had some key injuries. And then they had to play some games without Hampus Lindholm, without Josh Manson, etc. They didn't have the depth to withstand that. And I think Pat Verbeek coming in with a fresh set of eyes, he certainly recognized that. And the fall that the Ducks suffered in the second half uh, maybe was a blessing in disguise because it made it very easy for Pat Verbeek to make the moves that he did and acquire the future assets that he did for Lindholm, for Manson, for Ricard Raquel, for Nick Delorier. And, um, you know, you, you need more depth. You need to be able to withstand injuries because they're going to happen. You're never going to go through an NHL season without having to deal with absences from the lineup. And if you're going to be a playoff team, you know, you have to have more guys that can come in and do the job. And that's where the Ducks are, similar to where the Sharks are, I think. You need more good hockey players. Yeah, I mean, the description you gave could have been just as easily applied to the Sharks as it could have been the Ducks. And I think that's, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the, the amount of years that have gone since the Ducks have made the playoffs and, you know, fans wanting to see things happen. I mean, this is where it gets interesting because like you alluded to with LA and adding a couple of pieces versus a slow build, because, you know, neither one has a confirmed return on investment, right? Like sports, sometimes a team that's young and has young talent as Anaheim does that next year, those guys can arrive to be consistent and then things take off. Other times it doesn't really take off until you do inject some other pieces in there. So that I, this is where it gets into the, what is best. And it's, it's, it's a very hard decision because in sports there is, I, I always find it funny. People are saying with the sharks, Oh, do a complete tear down. And it's like, well, a that's easier said than done, but B there's also, there's not a guarantee that it's always going to work just from one way versus another. 
No, there definitely isn't. And I think to compare the ducks and the kings is really fascinating because the kings right now, in my mind, they're a pretty good team. And I'm not sure I would want to play them in the playoffs, especially the way Jonathan Quick has been playing lately. Um, you know, last summer, I remember Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille talking about, we need to make the playoffs this season. And, you know, they went out and got those veteran guys that we talked about earlier. And, you know, barring something crazy, they are going to make the playoffs. So that's great. Good for them. However, does that necessarily mean that two years from now or five years from now, the Kings are going to be in a better place than the Ducks are? I don't necessarily think so. Certainly they could be, but maybe the way the Ducks have approached it, and to some extent that was circumstantial, the Ducks didn't have the payroll flexibility last summer that they do now. So they really weren't in position to add the players that the Kings did. But whether the Kings, who are no question a better team now, whether they'll be better than the Ducks two or three or five years from now, I'm not so sure. Time will tell. In terms of looking at the playoff picture, Colorado is a uh, is a bit out there in space. Then you have Minnesota, St. Louis, and Calgary before a 10-point drop-off to Edmonton and then L.A., Nashville, Dallas. Who, who, do you, uh, who do you like in the West right now, maybe beyond Colorado? Boy, that's a good question. Um, happened to have a conversation this morning with some people, um, including Scott Niedermeyer, who is on this trip with the Ducks. And I think it's safe to say Scotty knows a thing or two about this. <laughs> um, his basic message was the teams that you expect to go a long way in this year's playoffs, don't be surprised if they don't. And I think his point is that there's a lot of depth, uh, not only in the West, but league-wide, and that, um, you know, the division winners, let's say, uh, you know, might not get to the conference finals. So uh, I'm hard-pressed, honestly, to identify a team that I'm going to tell you uh, I really like to get to the Western Conference final in the East, I was kind of on the Carolina Hurricanes bandwagon. I love the way that team plays. I love what they stand for. But now they have serious goaltending issues. So I'm, I'm a little more lukewarm on the Hurricanes than I was. Um, you know, if you, if you held a gun to my head and said, who's going to represent the West in the Stanley Cup final? I'd have to say Colorado, but I'm not real confident there. Yeah, it, it will be very interesting because, as you alluded to, a team like L.A. can kind of come up and, you know, that seems like they're getting better and better. And the other team that, you know, is, is such a question mark to me is, is in Edmonton because they have such the, the high-level skill. It's just been very um, inconsistent all year long. And, you know, the, the goal-tending troubles that they had, especially early, or just there's a lot of teams that do have the potential because, as we all know, and, and I'm very good at being wrong, Dan, it's like I can look at all this and say, like, oh, I have a good idea of what's going to be happen and then prove that, you know, when we get into June that I clearly had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, I think you're not alone in that regard, Ted. Um, personally, I'm not bullish on Edmonton's chances. I just don't think the Oilers are solid enough. They go through stretches where they look really good. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, that'll be followed by a stretch where they seem to have all kinds of holes. I think Edmonton and Toronto are very similar. Uh, to me, I'm never going to believe in either one of those teams until they show me that they can do it. And, you know, maybe this is the year for one or both of them. But I got to see it before I'm going to jump on either the Leafs or the Oilers bandwagons. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm right there with you. I just Edmonton's one of those teams where, again, it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up getting red hot and making a deep run. But yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's kind of a prove it mentality. And then just a, a last one for you with everything that's going on with Vegas. And obviously the Sharks dealt them quite a blow the other night. Um, you know, I, I understand it's a it's a capped league. You know, you've got to deal with the money, but I, you know, I look at the situation they're in now and just think back to their trade in the summer of Marc-Andre Fleury and think that was just, in retrospect, I mean, listen, I understand they got the money off the books, but in hindsight, it doesn't look too great. I thought it was a huge mistake the way Vegas handled the Marc-Andre Fleury situation. I mean, if you want to trade him, fine, make that decision. But to tell treat, the guy to treat him the way they did, a guy who had been so important to that franchise. I thought it was just asking for negative karma. And I think uh, it's going to cost the Vegas Golden Knights going forward, because I think that tells everyone around the National Hockey League, including players, uh, that there's really no loyalty in that organization. And I don't think that's a good way to operate. I think it was Timo Meyer who... Uh, said the other day that uh, he and some of his teammates were getting texts from players on other teams, friends around the league, yeah. saying they were rooting for the Sharks to, to deal the Golden Knights that huge blow the other night. And I found that really interesting because I, I, do, I don't think I'm alone in not really liking Vegas. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's a pretty widely held feeling around the league and and frankly i think the vegas golden knights management has no one to blame but itself for that because they've they've made their beds so now they're gonna have to lie in it dan great stuff as always my friend have a great broadcast tonight enjoy your off season i will try not to bug you too many times throughout your summer uh but i guarantee i, I will be i will be texting you soon at, at some point uh whether to to, to wrap on the Giants and what they're doing or uh, probably some hockey talk as well. I will look forward to it, Ted. Anytime you want to talk Giants baseball, I'm up for it. <laughs> Dan Wood, everyone. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, Dan is the man. Again, that was Dan Wood of the Anaheim Ducks radio broadcast. He's their longtime color commentator and always enjoy chatting it up with him on uh, on a variety of topics hockey and beyond uh but again you know this is uh it's a game tonight where the sharks and the ducks are both teams that you know had kind of courses this year that somewhat mirrored each other and you know the ducks have actually dropped behind the sharks in the standings as of late um and i know there's this idea that you want to have as good of a draft pick as possible but you know for the sharks it's their last home game of the year and you do hope that that gives them a little bit of extra fire a little bit of extra grit to go out there and have a very good performance for the fans and kind of see if they can end the year on a positive note because right now you know the Sharks they've, they've won back-to-back -back games which we all feel very good about the win over Chicago and then you know the, the classic the other night well maybe not classic but just improbable comeback against Vegas the other night that really put the hurt on them and then 
You've got Anaheim tonight and see if you can make it three games in a row. So I'll be very excited to see exactly what the Sharks uh, have to bring tonight and see if they can make it three games in a row before they finish it up with Edmonton and Seattle, a back-to-back on Thursday and Friday night. That wraps it up for this edition of The Build-Up. Be sure to join us at 7 right here on the Sharks Audio Network as our pregame coverage begins. And then we will have the game at 7.30 again right here on the Sharks Audio Network. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Tim Ramey signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app. Presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yen.